Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show where our very own Cousin Mike and the new Mouth of the South, Tyler Peters, gives you our thoughts on some of our favorite matches in wrestling history. Welcome to Tyler and Mike's Insights, presented by the Rewind Wrestling Network. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of Tyler and Mike's Insights. We are going to be discussing AWA Superclass 2. It is for the AWA Championship between champion Nick Bockwinkle and number one contender and challenger Kurt Henning from May of 1987. And my name is Tyler Peters. This is my tag team partner, Mike. And uh, I'll tell you what, Mr. Mike, the cuz here, how are you? And what were your thoughts uh, concerning this matchup between two legends in Henning and Bachwinkle? Well, one of the things that I was really interested with was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Bachwinkle in his upper 40s at this time? He was. I, I believe you are correct. He was not getting any younger, and that's with all due respect to Bachwinkle. Uh, he definitely had that experience edge over Henning because Henning was your sure. young up-and-comer. What was really cool is like they didn't really do anything over top in the match. Like there was no crazy like spots or anything like that. Um, it was very, very much a, a match where like there was a lot of chain wrestling. Um, it kind of, it kind of looks like what the basic wrestling like school clinic is now. Yeah, a lot of fundamentals. Uh, like you were saying, that nothing flashy. That's what I appreciate. Hey, and if you're an old school wrestling fan, you got to check this show out because Mike is such a historian. I learned so much from you, Mike, and and I hope I'm I'm bringing my game. But it, it's been a lot of fun to revisit these kind of nostalgic matches. I, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's nice to see stuff when it's like in the evolutionary stages of the history of the the sport. Like, oh, you're so right. You know, back then a back suplex was something that could put you out. Yeah, it was a finish. Yeah, what, what people yeah. don't realize, uh, Barry Wyndham used that superplex a lot of times, to your point, to put away opponents. Yeah. And, and that's the uh, remarkable thing. I, I'll tell you what I, I love seeing, just to see the progression of a young Kurt Henning well before we would see Mr. Perfect, even as a afterthought. I mean, you could already tell and see just how talented, how skilled he was. And both men were second generation. Think about it. Nick Bockwinkle's the son of Warren Bockwinkle. And, of course, we all know uh, Kurt Henning's the son of Larry the Axe Henning. Exactly. So that was kind of neat. You still had that dynamic, even though there was yeah. a year's uh, difference, like you were mentioning. It's funny, too, because, like, I don't know if you've ever noticed this with, like, older, like, baseball cards and, like, older materials for like sports and stuff but like man how rough was times back then because kurt i think kurt was in like maybe his like late 20s early 30s and he looked like he was like 45. he looked experienced i mean the way both those guys they polished up each other you would have thought the other way around with bachwinkle knowing his history and being in wrestling so much longer but kurt you were so on the money he just looked like he was a pro and had been doing it for as many years as Nick at, at this point. Yeah, and, like, they did a really good job of making each other look really good in this match. Um, both of them had similar move sets. 
Um, and like I said, like with the way that the match was wrestled, it was mostly like when you go and learn how to wrestle, the moves that they were using in this match were a big deal like back then, but now they're the fundamentals that they teach in. Yeah, they were your textbook. I mean, they, if you want to go review matches, this would be one of those uh, clinics you need to go check out because, like you said, your pace picked up when it needed to. That, that's yeah. what they're talking about, where the audience and, could get into it. No, go ahead. And like I was going to say, like there were times where like it was quiet and everything like that, and then all of a sudden they'd do a flurry of like real quick moves and everything like that and hip tosses, and it would get the crowd woken back up. And there's a lot of guys out there in the industry that don't, realize that they need to do that or they do that the entire match so by the time that the finish hits it really doesn't matter because they've been basically in high impact the entire match well think about it mike to your point a body slam was sacred then i mean that everybody thinks oh that's you know that's nothing today but that was actually a finish at one point i mean enoki's finish was a back suplex for a while I mean, if that tells you anything. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, the psychology is always uh, stellar. Nick Bockwinkle was just so classy but arrogant at the same time. That's why you wanted to cheer against him, but he was kind of one of those cool heels that you you respected. You you wanted to like him. What was great, too, was uh, the crowd was very, like, anti-heading. They were. And see, I didn't know at first because I didn't get a chance to watch the previous match or or see more of the storylines going into this one, whether it would be Henning to be the the heel or Bockwinkle because we're used to seeing Nick in that role. So it was interesting. I I didn't know if they were going for the turn because remember, Sabisco played a part in this match and and that was interesting. And and like, we'll get to that later because this this match really, uh, without this match, I don't think... Zabisco would have had the catapult that he had to get to the legendary status that he did. Because prior to this, he was just not saying that he was just one of the guys, but like he was never in the upper card until. Yeah, he was never in the main events. Yeah, so this was uh, this was a match that a made Kurt Henning and B it also really helped get Zabisco into the eyes of the crowd and everything like that, and started pushing him as a top heel. Yeah, which he did great. I mean, Larry Sabisco was so intelligent anyways, kind of like Bachwinkle and Henning and all of them. He just had a way with the crowd, and the crowd would help dictate that with the way they reacted too. The only thing that I – there's like one or two things that I felt a little bad about with the match because this was uh, – you can definitely tell that this was near the end of like AWA's run. Sure. Because they went from like filling houses with like tens of thousands of people so I think there was like a 2,500 head count for the match that night. Yeah, it was not a sellout. And that was uh, uh, disappointing to know the history with not only Bachwinkle, Vern Gagne, the whole Gagne family. I mean, you had so many legends that had passed through there and, and, and to see and the tail end of it. The other thing, too, and this is just like from like a person looking on the outside, I've never watched an AWA match with the commentators and after listening to their commentary, I, I feel you. like they would have put just a smidge more effort into characters with the commentary. They might have held up with WWE. 
because they certainly had the ability. Oh, he and the guy had the great voice, but I'm with you. It kind of lacked telling the story it more. Was very, it was very ESPN-like. It was. It, they were definitely trying to make it more of that sports presentation where Vince was all about more of the entertainment aspect. So you could see the difference and contrast with uh, between Vern and, and so many of the territories compared to the way Vince Jr. was going to run it. And uh, to have Ray the Crippler uh, Stevens, who was a tag team partner of Nick Bockwinkle, was great. I, I love Ray Stevens. Yeah. Also, man, I did not realize that Larry Zbyska looks so much like Jim Belushi. <laughs> That's a great point. I didn't put that together. Who who would have thought that Larry Sabisco and, and Belushi would have looked so much alike? Yeah. And uh, dear God, mullets. Mullets, mullets, mullets. Yeah, it's not just Billy Ray Cyrus's fault. Wrestlers, everybody. That was the style, man, back in the 80s was yeah. the mullet. You had to have it. It was a signature for crying out loud. So... In regards to the finish, did you know that this was one of the first like shoot finishes? No, I did not. That, that's why I've got you to make the tag. You can educate me and, and our listeners and viewers. Okay, so you know the whole confusion after the match? Correct. Where they're, they're arguing. They're arguing over the title and everything like that. That was legit. They were legitly arguing because... They were holding up the title because they did not know if Kurt Henning was going to sign with the company or if he gotcha. was going to jump ship. So they waited a couple of weeks to finally like get everything worked out with his contract and everything like that. And that's why like he was finally given the title like a week or two later. But in the moment, his reaction to not being handed the title and everything like that was a legit reaction. Like he was legitly upset because they did not tell him that that was going to happen at the event. They kind of pulled a McMahon with the Montreal screw job where they were going to try and hold the title hostage. And the reason That's being fascinating. Is there were so many wrestlers that were leaving AWA and not finishing out their obligations. In fact, do you know who the only person was who gave notice when they quit AWA for the was WWF? It, was it Gene Okerlund? No. I thought maybe he did. Because I thought I heard that in an interview, so I, I was mistaken there. Who was it? No, it was Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, Heenan, okay. But to your point, there were. That was part of kind of McMahon signing everybody away even before then. And then we would see Henning eventually go uh, over and work for McMahon. But you're so right. He was still getting a lot of the top guys. So it was a very telling time. They worked me so good. I did not realize there was a lot of reality with it with that whole yeah. angle. So it makes it even better, honestly. Yeah. It was one of those few times where like reality kind of blurred the lines and everything. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I just, uh, now that you've enlightened me, I want to go back and kind of review that a little more because I was so used. They were so good. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, playing with our emotions, the wrestlers, uh, this immense talent that you had in the territories and everywhere that I actually did not even realize this was legit until you uh, said that. So that's yeah, what's I, neat um, about this show. When I saw that the title got held up, I was like, wait, I thought he won the title that night. Because on the on the record, like his run runs all the way through that. I think he had like, in total, it was like 386 days he was champion, which is a pretty damn good run. For, yeah, it's a long run. 
any type of world champion. But um, when I looked back and looked into the history of it, like, you know, not saying that, you know, Wikipedia knows everything. So, like, I did a little bit more research and everything seemed to sync up for what I was talking about. Well, thank you for doing your homework. I, I thought I did okay, but I, I'm glad I, I've got you, Mike, to uh, be the encyclopedia here because that's a lot of great information. I, I want everybody to know. Not e even I knew of this uh, info, but I, I'm so glad you brought that to light because that, that makes a lot of sense now. You don't think about that watching the match, even the after uh, angle there that we're uh, discussing currently or right now. Yeah, and like – it's just amazing when you look at, like, all these guys that came out from that, like, area, too. When you look at, like, Robbinsville, Minnesota and everything. Oh, historically, and, yeah. It's so many. What was it? Henning, Rude, and uh, the Road Warriors? A lot of them. Henning, Rude, the Road Warriors, Bischoff. Was Darso? Yeah, Bischoff was out of there. And it, wasn't Barry Darso and, and Koloff? Or were they from a different side of one of the I'm teams? I'm not entirely sure. Me neither. But I, I was thinking that, of course, I knew they ended up knowing each other a lot because they'd play sports against each other or, or be on the in the same school anyway. So I'll have to go back and do some research myself. But you're right there. Robbinsdale produced a lot of tough, legit talent, and it, it's amazing when you go through that list and, and really fathom just how many Hall of Famers are, are soon to be or should be Hall of Famers are in that those classes or lists, per se. Yeah. So, that being said, this was actually like a catapult for Larry Zabisco's career, too. It because helped. After, after Henning left, I believe the belt went back to Bockwinkle, and that started the big Bockwinkle-Zabisco feud. Because when Zabisco came into WCW, I couldn't wrap my head around, like, you know, like, what's the big deal with this guy? They always made him, like, a big deal on WCW, and I never understood it. Yeah, they, they built him up quite well. But um, looking back as an adult now and looking at his career and everything, like I kind of understand it now. I, I do too, and I understand, you know, he had that big uh, angle with Bruno, injuring him, turning Hill on uh, on San Martino, one of his heroes. I know that was a, a talked-about thing as well back in the yeah. old uh, W, I think it was WWWF then, or maybe they had dropped the other W, but either way. Yeah. It was uh, it was a big deal. I want a belt this long with as many W's as you can fit on it. Wasn't that something else when you researched that territory before even Vince Jr.? They were Capital Wrestling, and then they went to so many W's and, and the F, and then finally when Vince came along, it was just the two W's and also Titan Sports, and it's amazing now WWE. The, the whole uh, you know evolution of it all is just uh, pretty astounding. Yeah. Yeah, I, I there's a part of me that misses when it was WWF. I wish they could have made some kind of deal. Oh, me too. I don't think I, I don't think there would have been a deal because of the way that they did the Attitude Era. Yeah, it would have it would have definitely changed things. But the, the Attitude Era, of course, we you know there's going to be moments we don't look on it as fondly, but a lot we do because at the time, I'm trying to put myself back at that age, and part of my life when I was growing up watching wrestling, especially those years, the Attitude Era you're alluding to. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of parties. We had fun, uh, you know, me and my buddies from school. I'm sure you experienced similar things and, and everything. It's just, uh, it's really, it was a neat time. put in many moves for me. 
many a sharpshooter, many a sidewalk wow. slam. So you've had to you've forward. had to take a lot of punishment for fun. Hey, that's I, I'll tell you, I didn't realize that. It was we, we, Ted oh, Ted. So it was you and Ted. That's what happened. So yeah. now the truth's out. Well, it was me and my friends used to uh, try to do stuff on the trampoline. That wasn't very bright. So uh, I I didn't. Uh, Lucky to say I'm still here. I didn't try to do a whole lot of that, but we'd have the water bottles trying to act like we're bleeding, like you'd see the wrestlers with the blood. And it, it was it was a fun but crazy time, an ignorant time. And now we've grown up realizing can laugh back oh, at those man. times. So I think one of the things that I wanted to do too, so that we don't just get scaled by doing matches, and this is just something that I'd ask the viewers for feedback on, would you like to see us do deep cut episodes on certain guys? I think that'd be great. And, and we do need to let the uh, viewers decide. I think that's a great topic, but I would be all for it because yeah, you, you definitely, the more you go along and we evolve as this show, you can kind of dive deeper because there is a lot of the backstory, a lot of things afterwards during the matches that you could uh, start telling more of that story that's been told, but have your perspectives on yeah, you know, like the various ones. Like, we can pick out a guy, and then we can pick out a match that we think is, like, what we think is their, like, standout match that, like, people should go check out. I like that. And the first guy that I want to do that with is Magnum TA. Yeah, great choice. I, I think that'll be a enjoyable show. I mean, they've all been fun, but to do a deep dive like you're talking about and, and really analyze Magnum's career and what could have been and what he was able to accomplish still yet, I think yeah, would have man. a lot of a lot of fans, including ourselves, because we're fans too. Uh, I'm all for that because I I'm a big Magnum TA fan myself. All right, so did you pick this one or did I pick this one? I think it was a team effort. Some of them I can tell we we took turns, but uh, for the most part we've kind of tag teamed them, which is fine. Okay, so. I think for the next match that I'd like us to do, I think we should do a Noki Flair. I'd love it. That that is one that I've heard a lot of good things about the Nature Boy and Anoki going at it, and in honor of him since he recently passed a while yeah. back. So I think the next episode, guys, is going to be a Noki Flair. You heard it from uh, cousin Mike here. It's official. Book it. If you guys have any suggestions, please leave comments. Let us know what you think. You can agree with us about the matches. Yeah, we want it to be uh, very fan-friendly and interactive. That, that's the whole part of the Rewind Wrestling uh, Network. Uh, Ted, I know on the original show, uh, the uh, that that's what it's all about as well. So that's what we're doing on these spinoffs like Ladies Night and now with uh, Tyler and Mike's Insights. So I think you brought up some great observations there. We it's nice to get the people to uh, come in and, and give us some feedback on what we should do too. kind of change it up. All right. So out of five stars, what are you giving it? I'm going to give it, I think I'm going to go, if not five, maybe four, but it, it was a good match. I'm not going to say it was one of their best, but these guys had not just chemistry. I mean, they just knew each other so well. Like you said, you could tell it was a struggle and that's when wrestling's, at least credible and believable because they do make it seem like they're really competing and it's not all forced or kind of stagey. So I'm kind of stuck in like a rock and a hard place with it because I want to give it a four star, 
but I'm kind of in like the 3.75 range. Is it due to probably Bachwinkle later in his career and, and Henning still young in his career? Is that anything to do? I'm just interested. No. No, it's just sometimes it's hard for me to get into matches when it's like two of the same style going at it. Gotcha. You want to see different styles. Like it did like they were working well with each other and making each other look good, but there were moments where I felt like it was just almost too much the same. Yeah, like if you're looking at like a Richter scale, it's just hovering and hovering and hovering. And then once they realized that oh, the crowd's not into it, that's when they started They in. almost wrestled so good that to your point, it was almost hard to rate it so highly. Yeah. I think that could be a fair assumption. Yeah. In fact, like, that's the other thing that um, with these two guys, like, one of the first things I looked up was I was trying to find what these guys used as the finish. Yeah, me as well. And I didn't get a chance, being honest, but I, I'm glad you did. And uh, at least I, one of I, us did. I couldn't find anything on it. Oh, you couldn't? I think, it, I think it's, like, standard era – Either big suplex, big pile driver. So what we're learning is like pile drivers and like you mentioned before, Mike, with suplexes were a big deal. I mean, and like the DDT, I mean, that used to put people away. And now we. we Yeah, like I'm wondering when Henning developed the the perfect flex. That's another uh, fantastic question. That's some good homework to try to do or see maybe a match when he first started uh, executing that. To put uh, his opposition away. Whoever in the comments can tell us when the first perfect plex was hit or heading plex or whatever he called it, we'll give you a shout out in the next show. Yeah, we will because that'll help us. That's what's great. Like Mike was saying, you can be a part of the show and assist us with uh, these kind of details because I, I'm sure there's a lot of fans like us, they do even more research and, and even things like finishers. This will be a, a great topic, actually. Maybe this could be a, another idea for a, you know, a, a new episode. Who knows? That, that's the exciting thing, Mike, about uh, you know, doing this show with you. And I, I appreciate all the work you put in and time. And it's just, it's been fun. This was yeah, another good one to review. Too, so. You got to take some adulation, too. Well, I, I know, but I, I'd rather, hey, make the tag because, hey, listen, I, I want to put you over. I, enough about me. I, I appreciate that, but I, and thank you for it. But you deserve it, man, because a lot of neat trivial stuff, that's what I enjoy, too, when I listen to other podcasts, too. And you brought that uh, aspect, and that's really interesting. I, I enjoy that. Thank you for uh, bringing yeah, all those uh, kind of uh, moments to light and did not realize the whole shoot deal has still got me perplexed. I mean, they work me good. And, and that's the beautiful thing about wrestling. Sometimes even when it's real, they suspend your disbelief enough. Any other thoughts uh, pertaining to this match? Nope. Not really much. Anything else going on? I think we're good to go. Yeah, we covered it. Well, until the next episode, you can catch us on the rewind wrestling network. This has been Tyler and Mike's Insights, where we reviewed the AWA Championship match from AWA Super Clash 2 between champion Nick Bockwinkle and number one contender Kurt Henning, and the championship was really uphill, thanks to Cuz Mike here for educating us. But until next time, 
we're signing off saying goodbye for now and uh we'll see y'all the next episode see ya